My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website at hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. If you guys want to go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 2, we're going to finish out chapter 2 today. Um, so uh, it's going to be a good time. Galatians has just been such an amazing book, uh, all about teaching us all about, and uh, obviously Paul was writing to uh, the church in Galatia, teaching them, hey guys, it's not about the works that we do, uh, it's about our faith in Christ. That's what saves us, that's what sustains our salvation, and so this is a really, really, uh, has been a really great book uh, to be going through. It gives us confidence, it reminds us that we've been set free, but not only set free, it reminds us that we can live free as well through that salvation in Christ that we have being justified. Um, And so it's just been really awesome to go through this book and to break it down to understand. It's neat because on Wednesday nights, we're going through why we believe what we believe. Really, that's every single time we come together. Whenever we open the word of God, we're discovering why it is that we believe what we believe. And so specifically, we're talking about why do we believe that works don't save us? Why do we believe that it's the work of Jesus on the cross that saves us? us and not our works, right? And so that's what this whole entire book is about. And so that's what we've been studying. That's what we've been looking at. Uh, There's a trend in Christianity right now. Christianity, I'll put that in quotes. There's a trend in Christianity right now, especially among millennials and into some Gen Xers and uh, and things like that. and it's called deconstruction of your faith, all right? So it's a kind of a trend that's going on. There's this thing that's going on where people are challenging other people to deconstruct their faith. Hey, why do you believe what you believe? You need to deconstruct that faith to make sure that it actually, uh, you don't have any biases in there. You don't have any falsehoods in there. You don't have any of these things in there. And so that's kind of going uh, on right now. So to deconstruct something means to take it apart in order to examine it at its core with the intention of exposing, like I said, biases, flaws, or inconsistencies, all right? So that's what people are doing. They are taking this, and it's become kind of a fad. It's become kind of popular to deconstruct your faith. In fact, you're seen as kind of uh, more, uh, what's the word here? illumined to the truth, really. Um, if you, if you kind of deconstruct your faith, there's this, there's this kind of philosophical mindset out there. Uh, and there's a huge community of people who come together. There's Facebook groups, there's Reddit, there's like everything that there's all these people that have come together that have said, Hey, we've been people that have deconstructed our faith and we've come to terms that it's not actually what we grew up believing that it's actually something else. And so this is actually kind of a big deal. You guys have heard about people uh, like Michael Gunger. Who's heard of uh, Gunger? Anybody in the room? All right. Um, A guy who we've uh, sung like in, you know, back in the day, it was like, you make beautiful things. Oh, you make beautiful things out of dust, you do. And we're singing those things and we're like, this is so incredible. But then Michael Gunger comes out and says things like, you know what? We're really not traditional Christians like everybody. In fact, you know, and then Gunger comes out and says, in fact, I'm actually an atheist. And then all And then the Christian community is like, what has just happened? And then Gunger talks about, well, I've deconstructed my faith. And you've got these people like, what is that? 
what is deconstructing your faith? What does that mean? And they go and they read his blogs and they go and they read all these things that he said. And then some people are like, well, that kind of resonates with me because I grew up in the church as well, right? We have people like Joshua Harris who wrote that awesome book that you guys probably read back in the day. <laughs> it was so huge back in the day. I remember it was like, every girl was like, I am no longer dating anyone. Boys are no good anymore. I'm kissing it goodbye. Like, right. So I kissed dating goodbye. He wrote that. Well, Joshua Harris came out and he said that he's deconstructed his faith, that he's no longer a believer as well. You've got a guy named Jonathan Steingard. We've talked about him before. He was a lead singer for the band Hawk Nelson. Of all the people, he's probably the latest one uh, that has come out uh, deconstructing his faith. He had some things that he didn't agree with. Uh, but one that kind of hit true to me, they kind of hit, I'm sorry, more, more home to me. Uh, whenever I was in college, um, in, in like junior, senior year of high school, going into college, I really got into this band whenever I got into college. It's a band called Cademan's Call. Uh, that was like my favorite band of all times. In fact, whenever I like want to have some nostalgia moments, I don't know if you guys ever have nostalgia moments, man, I plug in some Cademan's Call and it takes me back to my, to my dorm with the window open, the breeze coming in, and I'm just worshiping the Lord, right? Like with just these songs. In the Company of Angels was one of their worship albums that they came out with, and everybody was singing, uh, you know, uh, what was the big one? It's like, uh, Lord of Heaven and Earth. Remember that one? Uh, God, what is it called? God of Wonders. Yeah, it starts out God of Creation. Started, but it's God of Wonders. God of Wonders, right? So uh, they were a band that kind of sang that with Third Day, and then you got Mac Powell. It's like, Lord of all creation, right? Mac Powell. So he was really cool. And uh, and so, I mean, I remember those times. I remember, but then there was a guy, my favorite singer in Cademan's Call, his name was Derek Webb. And he came out, and he kind of started to kind of leave the band a little bit. He started to kind of write some other stuff. And, uh, and then before you knew it, he's deconstructed his faith. And now he's very open about that. Very open about a deconstructed faith. And he uses that terminology as well. I love Cademan's Call so much, by the way. We got engaged the day that our band opened for Cademan's Call. <laughs> like, it was... It was it was kind of cool. We had all our friends there and everything, and and it was kind of neat. But uh, but I, you uh, know, oh, man. Oh, but it, actually, Derek had already left the band anyways by the time that that happened. So so it wasn't tainted. All right, it's not stained. It's fine. Um, but uh, there are all people. These these people are all people who left Christianity, and the reason they left Christianity is because they started to have doubts and questions about uh, different kinds of things in their faith, which led them into a period of quote unquote de deconstructing their faith. And some of them are still in a place of reconstructing them, uh, but all of them have said they are no longer believers in Orthodox Christianity. All of those people have said that, and and that's just some that's just some more famous people. There are tons of people that have experienced this as well. Um, so the large majority of people who are deconstructing their faith are the ones who grew up in church. Those are the large majority of people who are deconstructing their faith, because, like being told what to believe and therefore believing it. Um, and that's, that's kind of their testimony. Those of us that really didn't grow up in church, like I didn't really grow up in church, my faith is more constructed rather than having to be deconstructed and then built back up and reconstructed, all right? Um, I, do, uh, I do think that it's important to deconstruct uh, whatever you were born into 
whatever you were taught from growing up, I do think that it's important to go through a period of deconstructing and figuring out why you believe what you believe, even if it's the truth, even if it's Christianity. I think about my own kids. They have a different testimony growing up than I had. They're growing up in church, but I hope that they will deconstruct their faith and, it, and one day make their faith their own. I know that they believe the truth right now, but the only reason they believe the truth is because I've told them that it's the truth. And so they believe that it's the truth. But I don't want them just to believe it because dad told them that was the truth. I want, the, I want them to believe it because they've discovered for themselves that it's the truth. And so I want them, I want them to go through a journey of deconstructing their faith and then reconstructing their faith because I truly think that it'll be stronger once it's reconstructed. Um, we all, uh, we all have all had to come to that point. Um, and uh, living, you know, um, on mom and dad's faith isn't enough. Having nagging questions and doubts can eat away at a faith and it can leave us miserable, especially if you have these questions. We need, we need to... We need to establish a culture in our churches where it's okay to ask questions and you're not seen as like a heretic or like as an unbeliever or I can't believe that you believe this because it's important that we teach these things to one another. It's important that we ask these questions, but there are people who are growing up in church and they don't feel comfortable asking questions and so they just hold it in. And I'm telling you guys, if you have a, I mean, there can be a doubt that pops into your mind and, or, or, you know, something like a contradiction, you know, that you may see in something that pops into your mind. And then if you just sit there with that and you let it eat at you, it's going to do some damage. And so you have to be able to ask people questions. And I feel like the church needs to be that environment because I'm telling you what, these people have deconstructed their faith. They didn't feel like they could go to the church. So they went outside of the church and found people that are like-minded with the questions that they've had. And they joined these communities and then they're on a path that leads them far away. We don't want them asking those people the questions. We want them to ask people in the church. Why do you believe what you believe in church? That's why we're going through things like, why do we believe what we believe? Hopefully, whenever we talk about those things, like on Wednesday nights that we talk about, hopefully we talk about those things and you're sitting here going, huh, I didn't have the right belief about that. I'm going to have to deconstruct what I believed about that and reconstruct it in the truth. And we're not, and on Wednesday nights, that why, that's not why we come together and we say, this is what you should believe. It's called why you believe what you, this is, this is why we believe these things about why we believe. And if that rings true for you, if you look into the scripture and all the time we say, we say this all the time and don't just believe us because we're up here saying these things. Believe these things as you search the scriptures, as you see the truths, as you examine one scripture and another, and you put these things together and you see that it has come to the truth. All right. That's, that is what we are called to do as believers for one another. And if you have questions about anything, don't be afraid to ask those questions. I'll say, I'll stand here right now. Don't be afraid of ever coming to me with a question that you have. It, it, it doesn't matter how quote unquote dumb that it seems in your mind. Come and talk to me about those questions. Um, and, and let's be a people that does that. Uh, but listen, some people are on the other side saying things like you should never doubt your faith. Don't ever do it. You were taught what you taught and don't ever doubt it. But doubting our faith can lead us to a greater faith. It's just true. Doubting it sometimes can make it stronger. Sometimes things to me, things need to be deconstructed in order to be reconstructed in a sturdier way. So, what if there is something that you believe about God that is wrong? What if allowing yourself to doubt is the only way you're going to be led to what is right? So it's okay sometimes that we do those things, all right? And that's what Paul is doing in our scripture for today. Why am I talking about deconstructing? Because Peter has now reconstructed a belief 
that Paul needs to walk him through so that Peter can deconstruct that false belief that he has. And that's something that we've been talking about is Peter's belief that, hey, and I'll just run through it real quick. There were some guy, Peter was coming in. He was eating with the Gentiles, Gentiles, Jews together. Everything was good because God told him from the get, like from that vision that he had in the book of Acts, hey, these, these things are clean now. Don't consider them unclean. And God is telling him that includes the Gentiles. So I'm breaking down these walls of laws that have been built up. And now you can eat with the Gentiles. So Peter's doing it. He's eating with the Gentiles. But there were some people from Jerusalem that were kind of high and mighty. They come down and they're like, no, it's not cool to eat with Gentiles. In fact, you need to be circumcised at first. Uh, in fact, if you're going to be a Christian at all, if you're a Jew, yes, you can, you can come to know Christ, but you also need to follow the laws. If you're a Gentile, yes, you can come to know Christ, but you also need to become a Jew before you can come to know Christ. And that means being circumcised. And then, and then these guys are like, and eating with Gentiles, forget about it. We don't, we don't, we do not do that. And so Peter kind of started to slowly stop eating with the Gentiles. And Paul sees this because now Peter is telling the world with his actions, these people are less than, and the Jews are the more than. The Jews are more saved than the Gentiles. These Gentiles who are uncircumcised, they are not as, as approved by God than these Jews are right here. And Barnabas falls into it. These other Jews start falling into this beliefism and it's false. It goes directly against the gospel. And so Paul has to talk to him about it. And, uh, and so this is kind of the end um, of Galatians chapter 2 in verse 17. And, uh, and so we're going to see what Paul does, how he kind of deconstructs this. I'm going to go ahead and read 17 through 21, and then we're going to go and we're going to break this whole thing down. All right. So here's what God's word says in Galatians chapter two, verse 17. Uh, and we'll start in, yeah, we'll start there. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For though, I'm sorry, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose." So I love this because Paul goes into an apologetic kind of mindset right here. All right. He's going to say, if you believe this, then this has to be true as well. All right. So it's really kind of cool. So let's, let's break this down. Let's see what he's telling them. Okay. Verse 17, and I'll have it up on the screen here for you if you want to read it. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Let me talk to you guys just a real quick about Jewish custom, because sometimes it was easy for these people to believe Christianity, but then it was very hard for some to believe Christianity as well. Because in Jewish custom, whenever somebody left the Jewish faith, it, they called it they called it living a sinner's lifestyle. If you were a Gentile, if you were anything other than a Jew, then you lived a sinner's lifestyle. That's what they told people, all right? So if you grew up a Jew and watched someone leave the faith, you'd say, unfortunately, they're now living a sinner's lifestyle. Well, then whenever Paul comes in and the gospel is taught and the law was done away with, 
Some who believed saw it for what it was, which is fulfillment and the continue, continuation of Judaism. They saw it for that. They thought, oh my goodness, we've been waiting for this Messiah. This Messiah has come. This Messiah is, was exactly who we were looking for. We put our faith and trust in him. And now the law is no more. He's fulfilled it. It's great. And now we're going to continue living our faith in this new, uh, new era, which is Christianity. And it's following after Jesus. But you had some other Jews who were sitting here going, wait just a minute. This is something we've been doing our whole entire lives. We have grown up in this. Our ancestors have grown up in this. We've been following the law and we've been told nothing, but if you don't follow the law, then you're not gonna be accepted before God. And so how in the world can you come in and just erase everything that we've learned? Every single thing that we've grown up with. Guys, imagine that. That would be really hard, really hard. And PS, that's why some people have a hard time leaving certain religions because it's, it's, it's leaving everything behind. And so you have these people who are like, we, we don't understand. Yes, we believe that Jesus was the Messiah. The prophecies make sense. It all is too good to be true. It all matches up too much, but we can't just leave behind there. You can't just tell me that everything that was in the Old Testament, that, that all the way to Father Abraham believed, all of these things, you can't tell me that like now we cannot believe these things anymore. Now we, now we don't, these things are just pushed away. These things are no more a part of our lives. We're free to just live, right? We're just, we're free. We don't, we no longer have to follow the law. This is too good to be true. And to them, if they left the law, bless you, bless your soul. Um, to me, if, if, to them, if you left the law, then you're going into a sinner's lifestyle. They're, they're thinking, you're telling me to live a sinner's lifestyle? There's no way I'm going to do that. And so some refuse to believe it to be true. And that's who the Judaizers are that are coming into Galatia. They believe in Jesus. They believe that he's the Messiah. But they don't want to get rid of their, their heritage. They don't want to get rid of their culture. They don't want to get rid of what's going on. And they can't fathom a world where God accepts you and you don't have to follow the laws. They can't fathom that world. And so they've tried to marry these two things together. And they tried to get others to agree. And that's what we talked about Peter a little bit ago. Peter fell into that. And he started to agree with that. And Peter was convincing others to believe that. But where did the message of the God originate? Where did it originate? Jesus. Jesus is the one that originated. It wasn't Paul. This isn't Paul's message. It wasn't the disciples' message. It wasn't the apostles' message. It was Jesus' message. Jesus was the one who told everyone, including Peter, that the purpose of the law had been fulfilled and was no longer valid. It was Jesus. So let me remind you of what he says in verse 17. That's why he's saying this. He's saying, but if, basically he's saying this, but if we seek to be justified by God in Christ alone, all right, He's saying, if we seek to be justified by God in Christ alone and no longer by the works of the law, and in the end we are found guilty, then who would be at fault for our guilt? Yeah, we would be at fault for our guilt, but not only us, the bigger person at fault would be the one who told us the message. And that would be Jesus. So answer me this is what he's saying. Is Jesus a servant of sin? Certainly not. Therefore, no longer following the law is not abandoning the way of salvation and picking up a sinner's lifestyle. It's what Jesus taught. 
Peter, you're Jesus who you denied, but who so graciously forgave you. The Jesus who taught you and who you've been preaching about. Peter, don't make him out to be a sinner because that's what you're doing. In fact, anyone who says that a person is saved by works is therefore implying that Jesus is a sinner. They're saying Jesus is a sinner. Why? Because Jesus led them to abandon the law. If Jesus led them to abandon the law, then he's a sinner. Peter, do you hear what you're saying? Does everyone hear what you're saying? This Jesus that you say you put your trust in, your faith in, your Messiah, if you say that it's by any other way than just faith in him, if you say that it's by works at all, then you're making him to be a liar. You're making him to be a sinner. Don't make Jesus a sinner because if it's true, then he led thousands of people astray. And not only did Jesus lead thousands astray, but he says in verse 18 right here, for if I rebuild what I tore down, he's talking about the law, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So he's saying, Peter, you and I were the mouthpiece. We are responsible for tearing down the law. We were the ones who traveled all over promoting that to so many people. And if the law is necessary, then we are incredibly guilty before God of leading thousands of people astray because we followed Jesus's footsteps and we told everyone to get rid of the law. And so he's saying, we're in trouble as well. But he's saying, Peter, you know the gospel of Jesus. You were there when Jesus taught you what that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in him alone, and not by works. And if that is not true, if we are saved by any other way, then we are all liars and guilty of one of the most heinous crimes before God. But Peter, an even harsher reality is that your popular teaching, is that your popular teacher that you had is a liar. That's what he's saying is, and, and I love what he's doing because guys, this is such a beautiful rebuke of something that's false. He does such a good job about this. And I love that he says that. And, and guys, don't we need someone like Paul in our lives? We need someone like Paul in our lives. Thank God for his wisdom and his courage. And remember the three C's from chapter one that we talked about. Praise God that he contended for the faith that he didn't conform to pressures of the Judaizers and what was popular teaching, and that he confronted this false teaching. I'm so grateful that he did this because we get to stand here as benefactors of that. So church, if we trust anything else to save us other than Jesus and Jesus alone, then we make Jesus out to be a sinner and not a savior. Trusting Christ alone for salvation not only sets you free, but it enables you to live free as well. Trusting the law for salvation in any way or trusting your works to save you only places a yoke of slavery around your neck, okay? Only places a yoke of slavery around your neck. Whenever you trust in Christ for salvation, you are freed and you get to live free. But if you trust in anything else for salvation, like your works, then you are only placing a yoke of slavery around your neck. Let me put it like this. I'll put it up on the screen for you guys. If you trust your works to save you, you are a slave of works instead of freed to work. We're going to break this down a little bit. I've been given the freedom to work instead of the burden of working. I'll spell it out like this. Uh, have you guys, um, have you guys ever, ever helped out in a nursing home or been in a nursing home or anything like that? Helped out in there? Yeah. So uh, whenever, back in my youth ministry days, um, we would go to New Orleans 
and we would help out um, and we would we would serve, uh, you know, clean up after Katrina hit and all of those things. Uh, we would serve and we would do all kinds of things. And one of the things that we did is we would go to a nursing home um, and it was, you know, it was good. It was a lot of fun. We would go and we would help out uh, there. We um, would do things like uh, go and visit the people in their rooms. Uh, and it was so awesome to be able to do that because they would uh, again, we were with youth and so they were younger and they would always remind them of their grandkids. And so they loved whenever our kids went into their rooms and just sat down and listened and talked and they wanted to be able to talk about their stories and they wanted to hear the kids' stories as well. And they just loved having someone to hang out with. It was cool. Uh, we also would make them goodie bags with, you know, hard candies and things like that, you know, that, uh, they love, love, and so uh, we would get in, we would go in there, we'd hand them that, and, and, we would, um, and we would talk with them. And they loved every minute of it. And then we would get to, and then it was bingo time. All right, we would go, it was bingo time. And uh, man, they loved bingo. And, uh, and they are serious about the bingo, all right? Um, that 75 cents that is a prize is no joke. All right, those three quarters that they would win, no joke. And so if you were, the mo one of the most stressful jobs I've ever had in my entire life was being a bingo caller in a nursing home. All right, because they don't play. If you mumble, if you don't say something clearly, they're gonna let you know because this is serious. This is serious, serious business. And so, I, you know, every once in a while, I would have to like, I would say like, B3, and they're like, you need to speak up, honey. Speak up. And I'm like, B3? Like, I was so nervous about doing it. But after, after a little while, uh, I kind of started, I kind of sat back. I listened to a few people. Like, I'm not even lying. I went and looked up bingo callers on the internet. You can learn everything on YouTube, all right, by the way. So I'd be like, how, how, what's the official way to call bingo, right? I want to show, show up next time, and I want to be like the man at calling bingo. I want everybody to be like, yes, all right, this is bingo. And so I would go, and I started to learn things. Um, and so the next time I went, it was so funny because it was like the next day. Um, I, would, I, would no longer, uh, I would no longer just be that guy that was kind of timid about things. Um, I actually got to be a... Uh, pretty big deal um, around the bingo circuit uh, in nursing homes um, because it was no longer like uh, it was no longer like oh 66 it was more like oh 66 oh 66 get your kicks on oh 66 and whenever i started doing that kind of stuff they were like this is bingo Okay, and so everybody was like, this is so great. So, so a couple of them, it's kind of good. Uh, get your kicks on 066. So I'd be like, B4, and then I finally got them to start doing, not after. <laughs> it was really cool, all right. Um, 063, I'd be like, 063, 063, 063, 063. Oh, beautiful, your numbers, <laughs> right? And they're like, yeah, this is so great. Um, and, and, and then the game would end up be signing autographs and everybody would just be like, oh, we love you. No, okay, that's not what happened at all. But, uh, but here's one thing that I noticed um, whenever we would go to that nursing home, there, there, were these, there were these two women that worked with us the whole entire time. And they were, uh, one of them, she did not like being there. 
She uh, was rude as she was rude to us. Um, she was rude to everybody else. Uh, she talked bad about having the job. She talked bad about everything that was going on. Um, and you could just tell whenever she came to open the door for us, it was just like, okay, you guys are here. Come on. This is where we're going to be. Do your thing, whatever. But there was another lady that worked for, that worked with us. She was the best thing to be around. She loved it. She loved being there. She was so kind to all the people. She would go to their rooms, their wheelchair. She'd wheel them out for bingo. Hey, you ready for bingo? Yeah. And she would like just hype everything up. And it wasn't just that day. It was every single day that we were there. Every single day that we were there and she, and, and here's what I found out whenever I was kind of asking them about asking about them and all that kind of stuff. The lady who was so kind to us, she wasn't even getting paid to be there. She was a volunteer and I'll put it this way. She had been given the freedom to work instead of the burden of working. This woman was living to work while this other woman was working to live. And it was an awesome thing to see. And ladies and gentlemen, this is a picture of the gospel. And I'll put it right here on the screen. When it comes to living in obedience to Christ, you have been freed to work. You are not a slave of work. Living for Christ is a joy. Loving others is a joy. Serving others is a joy. That's what it is for believers. Those of us that have been set free, those of us that live free in Christ, it is a joy for us to work because we have been set free to be able to work. We don't have to work in order to be set free. Because when you have to look at it like that, work becomes a burden. But whenever you are freed to work, work becomes a joy. And that's part of what Christ has done for us. And this is the perspective in life that Jesus brought. This is what Paul understood and why in chapter 5 verse 1, we're going to get there eventually. He's going to remind them again, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What's he talking about? What's the yoke of slavery? It's a works-based salvation. It's works. That's what he's talking about is, is the yoke of slavery is works. Somebody say, I have been set free. Somebody say, I have been set free. And say, so I can live free. We can. We get the opportunity to live free. Serving Jesus is a privilege. Serving Jesus is a joy. Works were never designed to give life. The law was never designed to give life. Its purpose was to show us our need for a savior by showing us how sinful we are. Name one person in the world that you know who is trying to work for their salvation and working for their salvation brings them joy in life. It doesn't. It's a yoke of slavery that's been placed around their necks. If you want to live under the law, you will not only have to wear that yoke, you will have to pay for all sins committed. If you want to live under grace, not only is Christ's yoke easy, as he says, your sins are paid for by Jesus. And everyone, everyone lives under the law. It doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter what background you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. Every single person, according to scripture, lives under the law at the beginning. We're all under the law. 
and we will all be judged by the law. It doesn't matter if someone uh, comes to you. It's like this. If somebody comes to us from another country, and they're like, well, in my country, the speed limits are 35 miles an hour in the neighborhoods, right? And so they come to our country, and then all of a sudden, they're driving through the neighborhoods, and they're going 35 miles an hour. And then they get pulled over. Well, they don't really get pulled over because they have cameras. So a camera snaps a picture of your car. You get a ticket in the mail. It would be like that person trying to go back and say, whoa, 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 wait just a minute. This doesn't apply for me because I was from another country. In our country, it's 35 miles an hour. No, they're going to look at you and they're going to say, no, I'm sorry. You're in this country. Like this is what our laws are. So you have to follow. God's laws are universal no matter what you believe about anything. Everything is universal. So everyone is under that same law, no matter what you believe. But check this out. Paul goes even deeper about why that law no longer has a hold on who put on all those who put their faith and trust in Christ. That law no longer has a hold. Here we go. Verse 19. For through the law, he says, I died to the law so that I might live to God. All right. In order to explain this, let's use our own judicial system for just a moment uh, that you and I are under currently in this country. If someone is convicted of a crime and sentenced to five years in prison, okay, they got five years in prison, they go to prison for five years, they get out, do the laws of this country still apply to them when they get out? Yeah, of course they do, right? Okay, but what about this? What if somebody commit some uh, capital crime, they get capital punishment, which is the death sentence, and then they, that sentence is carried out, all right? Is that person still under the law? Once it's been carried out, is that person still under the law of our country? No. Why? They're dead. They're dead, so it doesn't apply to them anymore. They are no longer under that law because they are dead. The law, listen to this, the law has no claim on a dead person. And you're like, what are you talking about? Check out Romans chapter 6, verse 3 right here on the screen. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried Therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Why are you and I no longer under that law that was before? I'll repeat it. It's because the law has no claim on a dead person. The person that is standing, that's sitting in front of me right now, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're a new person. There was an old you, and that person has died. That person was under the law, but the person that I see in front of me now, that person is under the law of grace, which is a completely different law. Why are you no longer under the law? Peter, why are you no longer under the law? Why isn't anyone that has put their faith in Christ under the law? Because the law has no claim on a dead person. And those people have died. The old you is dead. You have been made alive by Christ through faith in Christ. And to go back to the law is to return to the graveyard. We are so identified with Christ by the spirit that we died with him. We died with him when we put our faith and trust in him. And with that death came freedom from the effects of the law. And so I love it because Paul puts it like this in the next verse, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. The old you is no longer alive. They were crucified with Christ. You've been created as a new person with new desires, a new love, new purpose, and new understandings. And the reason for all of these new things is because the spirit of Christ now abides in you and living through you. This new you is no longer under the law of Moses. This new you lives under the law of grace. And I don't know about you guys, but I am extremely grateful for that. And people that, people that try to put themselves under the law, they're just going back to death. You have been saved. You have been set free. And that old you was crucified with Christ. It's the picture of baptism. You guys, um, whenever, whenever we baptize someone, right? You take them under the water. And what they Buried with Christ, Right? Buried with Christ. That, this is a picture of what's happened in your life. This old you that was here is buried with Christ. And you are now raised to what? Walk in the newness of life. That's not just like preacher talk. That's the Bible. <laughs> All right? That's a picture of what this is. That that's, This person that has come out is a brand new person, right? And that's so cool. That is so cool that, that the people that are standing here right now, I don't know how old you are but you're probably, me personally, I am, let's see, what is, I was born at about 19. That's when I was born. And so I've only been alive for how long? I'm gonna start going, I'm gonna start going by that age. What is it, 28, 20? 20, I'm 20 years old. All right, so that means, well, no, I can't, my birthday's not May 6th anymore. I'll figure it out, but I'm only 20 years old. All right, let's all just start doing that. All right, I'm not going to be 40. Mike, I'm going well past the years of old age. I'm going well past those years, man. So, so I mean, that's for you guys. The you sitting in this room, sometimes we don't, we don't consider that you're a new person. You're a brand new creation. You're not that old person that you used to be. And sometimes we like to carry that dead person behind us. And we like to drag him behind us. That's not who we are. We've cast that person off and we're a brand new creation, a creation that is now indwelled with the Holy Spirit. You're not the same that you used to be. Your desires that you used to have are old desires. The desires that you've got now are brand new desires, desires that, and affections that you have for him. No longer affections that you have for the world and the things of the world. You didn't even have an affection for God. Where does your affection from God come from? It's because you're a new creation. It's the brand new you. It's not the old you. And so it's so cool uh, because we have all kinds of different age groups. Raise your hand in here if you are, um, I'm, talking, I'm talking born again age. Raise your hand if you are less than five years old. Anybody in here less than five years old? New creation? Yeah? Nice. Anybody less than 10 years old in here? What about less than 15? Let's say more, let's say more than 15 years old. Yeah. How about more than 20 years old? More than 25 years old? More than 30? 
<laughs> right at 30. Awesome. All, and guys, this is what's beautiful about this. We're all here to help one another. And it's so cool that we have different age groups of people in here who've been born again, because those have, uh, those that have been here for 30 years, I got some things to learn from that guy. But then there are some other people in here who's, who, who have been five or year, five years less. There's, there's some in here that are 10 years old that, Hey, you can learn some things from these people. And that's what we're here for. That's why God created the church is so that we can build one another up. And we have been given those new lives for that reason. And so it's no longer us who live. It's Christ who lives in us. And again, that old person, that's the person that was under the law. You are not under the law anymore. So do not trust it or believe it. Um, and then in verse 21, he says, I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He died for no purpose. Not only is putting on the yoke of works of a works-based salvation, returning to the graveyard, it nullifies the grace of God. In other words, if the law can save you, if works can save you, if being a good person can save you, if it's anywhere in the equation, there is no need for Christ to die. So let's reverse engineer that. Let's reconstruct that then. So Christ did die and he was raised from the dead. Remember, this is, this is a message he's giving the Galatians. This is a message that he's giving to Peter at this moment. Christ did die. He was raised from the dead. Therefore, it must be the means by which we are saved. And if that is the means by which we are saved, then there is no other means, including works. Peter, Galatians, Judaizers, all the people all over trusting good deeds for salvation. Think about the implications your work-based salvation belief brings. Deconstructed. This is, the, this is the message in these short verses that he's giving to them. He's saying, if you are going to believe in a works-based salvation, if you are going to believe that, then number one, you're calling Jesus himself a sinner. Number two, you're going to be judged by that law and you're going to be found guilty. And number three, he's, his death was in vain. Do you want to say that, Peter? Do you want to say that, church at Galatia? Because that's what you're inferring by the way that you're living and what you're teaching and what you're believing. And you can't have both things. And again, I'll remind you, something happened in Peter's heart whenever Paul confronted him. I'm not sure if he was prideful in the moment or even how long it lasted. If it did last, all I know is that we have some really great books known as First and Second Peter, and they're incredible. They're incredible, and they are full of this kind of truth. And it's because Peter had a friend that would confront him about those things. And I love that he would do that. So remember what we read last week. I'll just go over it again and throw it on the screen for you. In verse 15, he says, and this is it. This is, this is it. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And that's he's talking about that lifestyle. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because works of the law, um, because by works of the law, no one's going to be justified. No one's going to be justified. Christ's death didn't only justify you in the moment you were saved. Listen to this. It's what continues to sustain your justification. He continues to sustain that. And why do I say that? Because if we don't remember that, we may find ourselves like Peter and the Galatians returning to the graveyard. 
So we have to be careful. Christians, be careful of returning to the graveyard, of picking back up the burden of finding favor with God by obeying rules. God, and we'll put this up here, God being pleased with you isn't reliant on what you do. God being pleased with you is reliant on what Christ has done for you and continues to do in you. And that is a very, very freeing reality. A very freeing reality. Why? If we aren't careful, all right, we will pick back up a yoke of trying to live a life of obedience so God will be pleased with us. But that's not the case. Hey, Christian, the one who has a sin that keeps creeping up in your life, the one who's been fighting and continues to fight that, hey, Christian, who is frustrated by your sin and therefore frustrated with yourself, know that God is pleased with you. The moment Christ clothed you in his righteousness, you received all the pleasure of God that he gives. Put down the burden of trying to please him so you can live for him. That's what we have the privilege of doing. What a weight that can be lifted off of us. What an amazing weight that can be lifted off of us whenever we understand that we are not a slave of work. We've been freed to work. It's a great thing. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.